Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. So good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem for our evening Bible study. Uh, we are in Galatians chapter 6, coming to the conclusion of Paul's letter to the uh, Galatian community. And uh, hopefully we'll be coming to a, an answer as to who exactly is influencing the, uh, the Gentile Galatians in such a way that uh, Paul was, was urged to write, to write specifically, to write sometimes a little harshly, but also to deliver us uh, a teaching from the ancient world. Now, we know that the Lord is present amongst us and he's present with you guys who are listening and present all over the world, all the different nations that are represented here. We acknowledge that through one way through prayer. Shimshon, our brother from Nigeria, will lead us in prayer. Take it away, brother. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your grace and your mercy towards us. Even return to you. Lord, we ask to God, as we study your word, let your word have a free course in our life. Let your word have a free flow. Let it heal us. Let it correct us where we need to be corrected. Let it bring us to the path of righteousness. Let it return us back to you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask to God that the spirit in your word is what we will receive tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 In the mighty name of Jesus. Yes, absolutely fantastic. Um, that was actually... Uh, one of the things that attracted a young Chabad guy to Christchurch was a lot of our prayers were in the mighty name of Jesus. It's like, this sounds awesome. <laughs> Who is this mighty man? <laughs> All right. So uh, a recap. So last week we studied Galatians 5, 13 to 25. And here's a little uh, recap, including the correction from a discussion where I got the last verse in the wrong tense. I had it as uh, that they were talking in a positive way. It was actually in, in a negative way. So I corrected that in the notes, which would be what you hear today. We have all been called to freedom. Hallelujah. Both Jews and Gentiles. Now, as part of sacred history, the Jewish people were called from Egypt to be a nation before the Lord. That is their freedom. And the Gentiles, too, were not to remain forever in bondage to elemental principles and the demonic. Where there used to be a separation between Jews and Gentiles in worship, such as in places in the temple, within table fellowship and prohibitions to intermarry, now both receive redemption in the Messiah and freedom from those constraints. We can worship together. We can have table fellowship together. The, the wall of separation has come down. Now that we are free, how then should we live? And Paul says to love and serve each other. And Paul brings a verse from Leviticus to make his point, particularly Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself, which he claims fulfills the whole law. While we discussed the Shema to love God as the greatest of commandments, the idea of loving your neighbor as fulfilling the Torah is actually also attested to in rabbinic literature. Rabbi Akiva says exactly the same as Paul in Genesis Rabbah 24-7. What is Genesis Rabbah 24-7? It's a Midrashic commentary collection 
uh, on the book of Genesis. And it's in, and in, in, uh, in that passage that I just quoted, Rabbi Akiva, who's a, uh, about 100 years after Yeshua, also says the greatest commandment is to uh, love your neighbor as yourself. The members of the Galatian community should not maintain inequality and separation in any form, but should act toward each other in love and service. Going back towards the works of the Torah will result in a breakdown of the community bonds, with members of the community being consumed by each other. And this is the opposite of love. Once again, Paul urges the Galatians to walk in the spirit as a defense against the temptations of the flesh and the return to bondage. And this reiterates his argument from chapter 3, where the spirit is now our guardian and shield, as the Torah, the former schoolmaster, takes its rightful place on our hearts. Once again, walking implies action on behalf of the believer. Paul uses a term, desires of the flesh, to refer to the old man of the unredeemed state, which still seems to be around. We are saved and redeemed, but we remain, for now, in a corruptible body. Paul began this section by the phrase, but I say. Now, this led us to a discussion on the inspiration of Scripture, how to read and understand Paul, and what does it mean when an author says he is speaking personally and not by the Spirit? We did not come to a grand conclusion, but rather we simply highlighted the issue. From a rabbinical perspective, what Paul is doing is a form of oral Torah to halakha. The oral, I say, leads to halakha, walk by the Spirit, with love being the goal. Walking in the Spirit is the antithesis of sin and hypocrisy, and it is opposed to the works of the flesh. Paul proceeded to give a small but not exhaustive list of many sins many of which were prevalent in the past pagan culture and, unfortunately, remain with us in an ever-increasing forms in our modern secular society. The unredeemed habitually perform these works of the flesh without remorse and in unrestrained behaviour, revealing themselves to not be inherited in the kingdom of God. Simply put, they are not saved yet. Walking by the Spirit is an activity and it is not something passive. Paul presents the proper path that followers of the Messiah should walk, the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits stand in contrast to the deeds of the flesh. Both, both the deeds of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit are evident to the eyes. That is, the fruits of the Spirit are also observable to the believer. For example, does the believer maintain self-control? Do they show kindness to others? These are things you can see. The fruits of the Spirit are also characteristics of God. Lastly, Paul once again refers to some of the internal problems and attitudes that are specific to the Galatians, that they were provoking each other and they maintained an attitude of envy toward each other. Over what issues is not actually detailed, but in the context, probably refers to enviousness of social standing between the Jews and Gentiles and provoking the non-Jews to become circumcised. This is the reign of the false gospel, 
by the influences, and it is not the freedom of the true gospel by Paul. All right, so that's a summary from our discussion from last week. So now we're up to chapter six. I'll read. I'm reading from ESV. Chapter six, Galatians. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, then he is nothing. He deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, by which the world had been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, whereas all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and with your spirit, brothers, amen. Wow, what a way to end the letter. All right. So as is our tradition, uh, based on an initial reading, the Peshat, the, the literal reading, is there anything there that jumps out that you've uh, noticed for the first time? Or is there something that you always notice every single time you read? I mean, there are some verses we just love and we're always drawn to. Anything, community? It contradicts itself. Yeah. Really? Oh, I'd love to hear it. Kate, go for it. I'm not very good, folks. I'm all new to this. They talk about bearing burdens, and then it's saying, bear one another's burdens, which, you know, we try and help our friends along. And then it says, let each one examine his own work, which isn't that share, carrying their own burden, their own work. They have to very good, Kate. You're right. That's on a, on a, on a literal <laughs> surface reading, you can easily come to exactly what you saw. It seems that we're supposed to bear each other's burdens, and yet, at the same time, you carry your own. What's going on? It's very interesting. Good, good question. And it's in that tension that you leap in and wrestle with the text. Good stuff. Excellent. Verse 16, the Israel of God. Yep, okay. Yeah, who's I that? I left a powerful <laughs> statement. <laughs> not God 
overseeing Israel or God loving Israel, but it's the Israel of, I mean, I get what it's saying, but it's so powerful for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. He's, he's against circumcision, and then down in verse 11, he's, yet if I preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? So I don't understand. It's saying he's against yeah. it, and then he's for it. Right. What, remember, we've been having, having this discussion all uh, through Galatians. Who is Paul trying to say, don't get circumcised? It's Gentiles. They never once were told to. But he also has turned around and said, Jews, you don't have to either. He has a very interesting, it seems like, again, contradictions in text, which demands us to wrestle with the issue. Good stuff, Rocky. It's, uh, yeah, it, it shows a lot of tension in, in the text, which is excellent. Then he had Timothy circumcised. He did. Yeah. That's a yes. In a later text, he does. Correct. In, in um, Acts, isn't it? Yes, it is in Acts. Yeah. It's like taking the moral high ground. Don't take the moral high ground over circumcision, just because. <laughs> if you see what I mean? Yeah. It's a, it is. It's saying if you're if you're Jewish, you can be circumcised. If you're a Gentile, you don't have to be. That's but right. Not Jews either. There's. Yes. The the one of the big issues of in in for Paul in the gospel is that in the Messiah we are one hundred percent equal before the law. And he has um, clearly said that, you know, there's no Jews or Gentiles, no slaves or free, no rich or poor. He's not worried about your social economic standing or how wise you are, or your gender. He, he's concerned, are you in the Messiah? And then if you are, he will count you as a brother and he will, will, be, he will delight to say so. But yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a good point. Sharon. This week is interesting because I understand deeper now that the verse 2 and verse 17 carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And then verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. Like when you're under pressure and under, you know, like so spiritual for spiritual reasons and stuff, or, you know, like you're fighting against spiritual issues, right? And Paul, because what else does he mean, right? Like, let no one cause me trouble because they're fighting about, they're disagreeing on spiritual principles, right? This guy came into our family who's just very conceited and self-righteous and proud. And so I tried to do Matthew 50, 18, 15 with him the other day. And he just won't say sorry, he won't do anything. And it's just a perfect example. Like, it's so burdensome because then he goes to my whole family who's down here on a, on a vacation and basically tells lies about me. I mean, there's an element of truth, but then lies. And it's just like, wow, like it just really sideswipes you and really wow. takes you out. And it's just like, wow, like people are so evil. And I think carrying each other's burdens, I think it means like, you know, when you're being oppressed and for, for not, not for bad reasons, but for good reasons, right? You need to encourage each other and help each other along in life's way. You guys have been such a huge support, even with Isaac there and what he's going through. And I really appreciate your prayers. He's doing much better. And Our pleasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's back home and he's back on a better track. And so we're thankful to God for that. And I needed you guys' prayers desperately some mornings. So thank you so much for everything you've done. And Excellent. we need to carry church. Yep, good stuff. The body being the body. Good. Is there anything else that stands out literally? Ah, yes. Um, I think maybe Ariel can help us in this. In verse number 11, um, it says that, um, notice the large letters. In Hebrew, we have um, the large letters and the normal letters. Um, but in the Greek, I don't know if we have that, um, that kind of principle of having the large letters. 
So I don't know how it's um, written in the Greek and what Paul is trying to transmit in, in that verse 11. In the time of the New Testament, all Greek manuscripts were written in capital letters. Uh, they're called unseals in the scholarly literature. Uh, I don't believe, so I don't believe that's what Paul is talking about. It seems to be a kind of a marginal note that he is making to enforce the authenticity of his writing here by scribbling this note, personal note, and got inserted as a verse here, apparently out of context. All right. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, um, Eric, many people think that perhaps he wrote large letters because he maybe he didn't see too well, but that's speculation. <laughs> yeah, okay. no, that's right. No one is 100% sure what the thorn in the flesh is. There is some great, great speculation. And, and one of them is um, poor eyesight. One of them is um, uh, some sort of arthritis that, that, that causes him to not be able to write his own letters, that you know, holding a pen was difficult. Who, who really knows? Well, being blinded by God would certainly have an effect, don't you think? Could be. Yes, yeah, it's uh, you never know. Then the, the powerful ending of this um epistle of the Galatians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, um, it's a very powerful statement. We usually use to close the service most of the time, yes, we do. And a lot of the traditions I like because I come from a traditional church, much of the words we use in the service are literally just verses from the text. Yeah. And some of them are so powerful, even though you've said them a thousand times, they still rock with uh, the power of, of God because they are scripture, uh, yeah. which is uh, something very special. Great. Okay, guys, let's now dive in. Verse one, wrestle with what's going on, see if we can figure out who these influences are. So Paul now gives some practical instructions of how we walk out our continued freedom in Christ. Okay, so basically discussing if there's somebody in our community who is caught in some sort of transgression, what do we do? Because remember that uh, freedom is what not lawlessness. There is laws. Okay, and later on we're going to have this thing called the law of Christ. But, and so there are rules. You don't just leave brothers and sisters in a transgression. But if they are discovered in one, what are we supposed to do? Gently correct. Gently correct. Yes, those, but the only specific group. Who are they? You who are spiritual. What a very interesting way to phrase it. So maybe maybe uh, Arie could de- describe what, what he thinks um, he means by you who are spiritual. He's, he's referring to those who are walking in the spirit, yes? Would that be a connection with, with the previous chapter? Presumably so. Everyone, presumably in God's congregation, has the spirit to some measure or another. But uh, this Pneumati reminds us in, in Corinth, some of them were quite fleshly and psychikos, and the others were uh, pneumaticos. Yeah. So uh, those who have insight into the situation by God's spirit, apparently, is, is something of his intent. Yes, because those overtaken by sin doesn't mean that they don't have the Holy Spirit. It means that they've been overtaken by sin. They're still a brother, and we can't leave them alone. So we've got to go and support them. Yes? But like verse 26 says in the previous chapter, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Right? So it's easy to become proud in your faith too, right? And then you become 
Bram. And then I just read that verse the other day in Proverbs that where there is strife, there is pride. And it's so true. Like if you're being mm -hmm. humble and the other person's being humble, you can't fight. And I also see it as um, not being judgmental, just like you mentioned Aaron, that um, the fact that those people are overcome with sin doesn't mean they don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm so judgmental, oh, you're a sinner, and you know, you just um, dampen the spirits, then it becomes, um, it doesn't become productive in their life. Your rebuke becomes negative, and it can even drive the people away from the body. Once we consider that, knowing that um, uh, we, are, we, can, we also can be tempted, then we, we will be very careful in rebuking them. Reminds me of um, Matthew 18, where Yeshua says, if your brother sins against you, you should tell his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And then he continues, he says, do not take two or more along with you. And that reminds me also of Deuteronomy 19, 15, where it's the laws concerning witnesses, where it says a single witness shall not suffice if it, only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So it's just, it's that, it's it's a similar idea. One, one, you know, one with another, two, then if you need another person, then you add on and, and so forth. Yep, I 100% agree. You, we've got, there's a, a principle in Matthew, as uh, Shimchon says, it's, it's a, it is a non-judgmental thing. We've got a brother, He's a brother who has the Holy Spirit, but something's happened. It doesn't, doesn't matter what it is. He's been caught in a transgression. And uh, as Paul says, you know, we're still wrestling with this old man, right? The desires of the flesh are still here, unfortunately. However, those who are spiritual, who are walking in the spirit, they are have, um, again, not a pride issue, not a rank, not a, you know, I'm a better Christian or anything, just the term. You who are spiritual, you who are actually walking in the spirit, don't don't ignore, restore, bring the brother back. It's going to be a blessing both for you, both for God, both for the community, in a spirit of gentleness, as uh, Rocky reminded us. Yes. Can I ask Ari a, a question? The restore is that just a raise the issue to the brother and help him see that he's doing wrong, or is that a walk with him? until he can come out of that sin. It seems to imply some sort of act or process that pulls the brother back from where he is into a place in Christ. That's the restoration, I believe, that's going on. The same word sometimes is used in some Greek manuscripts as mending bones, and it's used in the New Testament as mending nets. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? When you click on the little little uh, Greek lexicon thing, it, it ends up being the same word as they restored their nets. Aaron, on, going back to the chapter two, right? Like, so sometimes, though, you have to be discerning because what happened is false brethren had come in among us, secretly yes. wanted to file our freedom in Christ and bring us into bondage. So it was literally the gospel at stake back in that discussion where yep. these guys have the wrong idea of quote-unquote Christianity. They're pretending to be Christians, but they're not, or whatever you want to call them. And it's just like, no, like your attitudes are wrong and they need to be corrected. This is the proper way. We, it is for freedom that Christ set us free, not to be enslaved yep. by you because you're being selfish and conceited. Yes. Yeah, so in chapter two, you get a challenge. Here, you get a restoration. And I think what you're looking at is the brother is in a transgression. We're not having a debate about theology, I think, is the, is the big difference there, uh, Sharon. Um, this, is, this isn't a theological debate 
that's actually quite a serious one. Many of our theological debates are actually not, if we're honest. They're just fun. But um, this one is actually something serious because it's a, there's, a, there's a sin, there's a transgression. Paul is, is giving an instruction. If this is how you walk out, uh, being a follower of the Messiah, is those who are spiritual restore. They bring back. They, they, they bring the guy back into the community. Why? Because there's a warning. Watch out on yourself lest you also get tempted. What's one of the things that sin can do? Contaminates. Contaminate, yeah. And it can spread. And isn't that this one? It's, we all know it. We all probably have seen it in the past and sometimes within our own communities, much to our chagrin, is that when we don't restore a sin or don't challenge some, some poor theology, like what Paul did in, in, in Galatians 2, it can actually be quite dangerous. And so he gives you the warning that, okay, spiritual brother, get out and do your job. Go out and in perfect gentleness. One of the fruits of the spirit, yes, one of the fruits of the spirit is gentleness. Uh, restore your brother and be careful because it can, sin can contaminate. So remember, holiness can also contaminate, but in a positive way, right? You know, we, we can literally impart by osmosis, okay, uh, to our brothers and sisters, and in some cases, in acts, even on the things, right? The things can become special, like the holy handkerchief of Antioch. Only takes a little leaven. It does. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's true. And vice versa, it only takes one guy shining his light to chase away the darkness. Now, that's also just as powerful, which is, which is great and, and should encourage all of us to do just that. It's the heart of God. It's the heart of the Messiah. It's um, about restoration, about rectification. And, um, and so it's a process because a lot of times, you know, sometimes people want to know about other people's problems, but they don't want to go in and help and get their hands dirty. So then, then it's like bear one another's burdens. It's the beginning of the next verse. And um, I think if we're sensitive to be able to want to know what's going on, then we need to, you know, really put our sleeves back. And we have a situation right now where we, oh, it's been since COVID about a year. There's a couple that the husband, there was adultery. And so we've been, it's really bearing the burden and crying with, you know, the wife and talking to the husband and bringing them together. I mean, it really is just carrying the load together. And um, that's the beauty of the body of, of the Messiah, right? The body of of Christ is that we can help each other. So verse two, as you were saying, bear one another's burdens. There are things that weigh us down, all kinds of things. And they are very personal. What weighs one person down sometimes seems like nothing to somebody else. We shouldn't get judgmental on it, although we sometimes often do. We shouldn't. What hurts one person is a real a real struggle and, and is a pain. We should attempt to bear each other's burdens. I find the next phrase very interesting. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Before you go into the law of Christ, bearing the burden, it reminds me of Moses. A couple of times where, of course, he said, you know, if my burdens are too too hard, he says, why have you dealt, uh, why have I, uh, you lay the burden of all these people on me? So he was complaining. And then, of course, then you have the 70 elders. But then also when they, with the Amalekites, when they're fighting and he's praying. And so you've got the two, the two yep. holding the hands, bearing the burden. 
there's, there's actually an implicit assumption that we all have a uh, burden, right? And God actually doesn't want us to carry them alone. He didn't make us to be alone. He made us to be together and he said work together and carry each other's burdens. It'll be great. And through Paul, we have it in the community. This is actually another one of those commands. Remember, right? It's often we read in the in the New Testament, oh, there's only one law, no, or two laws. Love God, love, love neighbor, that's it. Well, this is this is a command. Bear one another's burdens. That's not a suggestion. That's not Paul saying, bear one another's burdens. I really think that's a great idea. Let's take a vote. This is actually a command. It's one of those laws and then we get this other interesting phrase so fulfill the law of christ so there's some two so there's actually there's two phrases there that are very powerful so fulfill and the law of christ so let's unpack that if you fulfill something does that mean it's finished no when the commandments right Oh, so so Greek scholar, what does it say in the Greek? What what? Well, the English is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I would suggest here, and this is a complex issue, but I'll, I'll try to state it simply in, a, in an acceptable way. Paul is talking about the law of Christ here because we can, can and do and must bear one another's sins. We don't think this way because we typically think of the cross of Christ as being in a one unique atonement for sin, which is not really taught in the New Testament. That's a, a Protestant view of the cross. Paul's view is that everyone in Christ is called to be the voluntary victim of the world's sin. And in this verse is intimately connected with the first verse. The brother that sins who's caught out in a sin is in fact imposing the burden of that sin on all of us. And Paul is saying, bear it. And the, the Greek here word baros is emphasizing the weight. It's a struggle. It's not easy. Burden captures it quite nicely in English. The, the load further down is a different issue slightly. But here we are the victim of the sins of the world. We are mistreated. Paul calls on us to accept it humbly uncomplainingly it's difficult but in christ we can and must do it which uh, is it corinthians where he says i continue in the sufferings of christ it's in colossians, colossians. Chapter, chapter two paul says i myself am making up in my body the things that are missing in the sufferings of christ yeah. the sufferings of christ were not completed when jesus died they are ongoing and each of us is called to enter into them as yeah. the victim of the sin of the world of other people. So that seems like a whole lot for listeners in podcast land. So we need to unpack that, guys. Well, they, that, that's obvious. That's brilliantly said, Arie. And this even goes further, not just the world, but the brothers and sisters. And that was exactly my thought earlier, that, that you know, this is hard to bear, that, you know, the sins of others affect us and it's tiresome. And our own sins affect us, right? They're tiresome. Yes. We're all interconnected. Yeah. There are universal victims of all sin. God is the first and foremost victim of all sin. We, we ourselves are the second victim of our sins. And everybody else is victim as well in certain ways. 
And, and then it's really it. messy was my, my thought. Like men, people's sins, all of our sins are really messy, but the church generally doesn't really want to talk about that quite often, you know? So we almost want to make sure we have an open space, like you say, that's zero judgment, 100% love, 100% support, and then trying to help everybody through their issues, right? I think also with Lord Jesus, when he was washing the disciples' feet, what Ariel said, which was brilliant, really just ties that together because it's an example. Lord Jesus says, you're all clean, which we all are, and yet we still have to wipe and wash each other's feet because they still get a little contaminated. There is still dirt. Yep. And so that's exactly what Ariel is saying, where Lord Jesus kind of put it in practice, and that's as you say, that's our ongoing ministry now. We have to do that for our brothers and sisters. And I find the church has become, as um, Shannon just said, the church is becoming far more selfish and, and self-focused that they don't want to deal with anybody else. They just, they, they just want their own um, worship with God and their own little private sanctuary around them. Yes, it's so sad uh, to say that because unfortunately it's true but however having said that and studying these passages and being challenged by paul and being challenged by the spirit through his word let's all endeavor not to do that let's make our part of the body of the messiah not like that let's make our part of the body of the messiah just like this where we will bear with each other thoughts and we will find it when someone is in in a transgression and we'll startle up next to them and say come on brother I've got to help you out of here because this hurts you. This hurts me. This hurts the body. And I, and I can't, I can't leave you alone like that. I've actually got to hold you up. I think it also helps us to understand this phrase, honomos du Christu, as Torah, in all of its uh, many splendored facets, as opposed to the simple nomos. Paul is thinking Torah, Torah ta Mashiach. Yeah. And probably instruction works here better than law. Oh, really? Okay, because I've got to ask, because this phrase here, law of Christ, I haven't finished fulfilled, by the way, I'm going back to that. The mm -hmm. law of Christ only occurs here. I mean, yes. no, no other apostle talks about it. I thought, oh, I'll find it in Peter. I'll find it in like First John, definitely. Nope, couldn't find it. I was like, oh, my gosh. What about in um, First Corinthians? It's, uh, it's uh, verse uh, nine twenty one. to those outside of the law became as one outside of the law and then of course it's in parentheses so it could be the whole thing about being added later in parentheses not being outside of the law of god but under the law of christ close parentheses is it the same greek i don't think i don't it is. i don't know i'd have to look at it. what's the reference in corinthians first yeah. corinthians 9 21 okay so while aria is looking up first corinthians 9 21 in relation to galatians 6 2 uh hand raised janet Going back to fulfill, this is partly a question and maybe a comment too. When you say we we experience, we do experience the sin of the world, is it because we're joined to Christ that we can actually experience it? Rather than being victims, we, we're sensitized to what sin is. And although when he died on the cross, not every sin was atoned for, the, the act of his giving himself for the sin of the world means that we can access that now because we're, we're in him. I know this sounds a little bit esoteric, but yeah. as a community of believers, we're in Christ. 
So we, if we feel the sin of the world, yes, we do have a way of participating in, in that being alleviated or even atoned for. Does that make sense about the fulfilling? Because it's always troublesome to think, well, he didn't do enough on the cross. There is a fact that he did do enough on the cross, but there's still this continuing process of there's new sins being committed. And somehow as in his body, when we're aware of it, either very closely in our own fellowship or people we know, or in the world as a whole, we can somehow participate in interceding for that, that it would be forgiven. So Jesus, I think, paid for all of, the, all of the sins on the cross, but we're still not free from the presence of sin until we're with him forever because we're still Amen. in flesh, don't you think? Amen. We just we re- reflect on the fact that we still live in these corruptible bodies, <laughs> much to probably our chagrin. When, when we talk about the body, bearing one another's body, um, I think in, in Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 23, it talks about the body of the Lord. And um, if you see in, um, in Samuel, um, you see Samuel had the body of um, Saul. Saul has left God, but Samuel was still having the body for Saul. He was praying for Saul. And he also had the body for the people. Um, in, in, in 1 Samuel 12, it's told them that um, if God forbid that he stop praying for them, even though they have left the purpose of God, that he's not going to stop praying for them. So when we look at bearing one another's body, it's, it's not always in the sense of confronting them of their sins, but when you see things, you begin to feel for them and pray for them. Um, that's why I, I, I think that's what Paul is referring to. That's bearing one another's body. That's why he also used the word that um, we should not be thinking that we are we are something later on. He used that. Um, so when we think about bearing one another's body, and I want to look at it from the point of having the person in heart and praying for the person or feeling what the person is going through. Um, the Bible makes us to understand that um, we are comforted with the comfort which the Lord comforts us with. Is in other words, um, some of us don't have um, the um, the power to go through some certain um, sin. Um, Paul calls it um, sins that easily beset us. And so when we find ourselves in that situation, some people might, so we might go through it easily, but other people might not be able to go through it easily. And so when we bear those people's body, we strengthen the body of Christ. Um, that's where I see it in this play. Thanks, Jim. Sean, it was a nice little uh, addition to our thoughts. Really appreciate that. Another hand raised there by Jennifer. I think we need to stop right now and go do that Leviticus study and then come back because <laughs> some of the basics are that, you know, that sin of one affects many. And, you know, that's not really something that we talk about in the Christian church, you know. It's right. every individualized sins, you know, and you have mm-hmm. all, but in reality, it affects the community and the way God has set it up, no matter what's going on in our churches or in or what we believe, but the way God has set it up is the the sin of one affects the many. And uh, so I can't wait for Leviticus. And especially the sin of pride, <laughs> and I would add to that, like the sin of pride and this whole concept of, you know, don't become conceited, like don't, you know, and then don't think you're something when you're not. Like if you stay humble, you get into less conflicts, right? One would hope, but yes, definitely throw pride out the window. Um, there definitely is a community response here. Galatians, much of much of Paul's issues that he's been discussing are 
So many things are dividing this community. So many things are separating back into ranks. And, and he's saying, no, stop that. You're, you're a community. You're one body. And you're all meant to be the, uh, working together. And when it comes to a brother who's fallen, okay, prop each other up, bear each other, pray for each other, support each other, walk with each other. Just don't leave. Forgive each other. And, and we shouldn't be in, in getting into those little closets of it's just me and Jesus. I mean, yes. It, the, your, God has a personal relationship with you. Absolutely. I'm not going to discount that at all. Can you talk to God? Yes, you can and you should. Can God talk to you? I really hope so. But it's also us. He delights to be with our people. He likes to have as many people around as possible. And there's something about relationships. Having sit down, sit down at a very large table all by yourself and have dinner. It tastes a certain way. Sit down at the same table full of brothers and sisters. Bless the Lord. Talk and chat. Tell me how good the dinner tastes after that. It tastes fantastic. The problem we're facing today, Aaron, and I can just talk from the churches here in, around where, where we live, okay. the, they are so politically correct that, um, for example, homosexuality, just living with somebody is tolerated, is accepted. The church doesn't do anything about it. And so we're in a society today where I'm finding that people that want to follow the word of God fully yep. are having to go to home groups now. And then it gets difficult to apply this because you, you're getting isolated more and more from the body because the, the large part of people going to a typical church of just adopting all this corruption. Sadly, I agree with you. I, absolutely. And, 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 yeah, praise the Lord that we can have Zoom and have home fellowships. It's also sad that that's where we got to, that we couldn't gather in groups and, and, and worship um, like we were probably meant to. Um, but let's not give, let's not give the, the meeting up of, of meeting together in small groups and doing our best. And maybe with the grace of God we can get, and we can have an influence, our salt and light can be, can be, can be there. A lot of the churches are actually putting people off Jesus. They're turning people away instead of actually leading people to Jesus. A lot of churches are actually leading people away, which is sad, and it's a sad indictment in us. And I, I think as well, it's, you know, what we're discussing here is, is we need a sense, we, we should have a sense, a sense of responsibility for one another. It's, it's unbelievably important. We don't, I don't think, understand how important it is to have uh, relationships with each other and teach relationships with God. I um, watched a, a video today from Prager University, who yeah, I kind of like those little five-minute videos. Yeah. yeah, and it was, it was a psychologist lady who was saying that in the secular world, um, people come to her as a psychologist and they say, how can I help my kids? And she says, well, teach them about God. He says, well, I'm an atheist. He says, well, teach them about God anyway. And they're like, well, why? She says, okay, well, think on this. Tell your kid, your five-year-old kid, when they ask, what happens when I die? Uh, nothing. You go into the ground, it all disappears, and there's absolutely nothing. That's terrifying to a five-year-old kid. That's shocking, you know, as opposed to you go to heaven, you'll be with the angels, you'll be Jesus will be with you. That's nicer. And, and you think, oh, that's just a lie, Aaron. The point is it's, it's psychologically helpful to have hope. 
Yeah. But we're in a world where we we don't offer any. In terms of Vita's uh, statement on the community that has around the world, which has allowed sin to go unchecked, unchallenged, and condoned through silence, through all kinds of problems, bad bishops, bad shepherds, people who should, by their calling, they took the responsibility to, to say, oh, I'd like to shepherd your church, Lord. Fantastic. I'd love someone to shepherd my flock, but do it properly. <laughs> and, and it's hard. It's hard to purify it, right? Like it's hard to confront and to deal with the, these issues and sins. And But for the sake of the, the body and for the sake of fellowship and true fellowship, you have to keep it pure. So all, all you church leaders out there, you know, work hard and actually people that are true believers will respect and flock to a, a to a church that is honest and true and pre and teaching they the will. truth versus run the other way yeah it's true so seen all over the world is um the people that preach the truth will will gather the flock um i want to go back to those two questions uh, by the way i've loved the discussion i hope that it, it's been a blessing to those who've been listening one thing before you go back to two questions. No problem, Jerry. I think Linda might have been talking about, but everyone was talking about how one sin, it affects God, it affects our family and friends and us. And uh, But then again, it's, it's so it just stresses how important Jesus' sacrifice is for us because his one sacrifice, it affects everyone as well and just gives us that freedom to be with our Father. So it's, it's amazing how it's... Um, just a good contrast. Right. Thanks for putting that in. And to add on to Sherry, <laughs> <laughs> the contamination, the contamination, like Jeremiah, eventually they were dispersed. And uh, when the sin gets so great, even though not all of them had that, but when the sin gets so great, the contamination is so much greater. And what is, you know, Yeshua, you know, forgiving 70 times seven, right? To restore, to bring them back. As he, you know, Jeremiah says how God really wanted to, for them to restore themselves back, their fortunes and back to the land. And, and the restoration is, of course, the forgiveness. And then the 70 times seven, you go to Lamech. He says Cain was seven, now 70 times seven. So he takes the evil part of that. And then when you go to Daniel, 70 times seven when uh, until there, when it talks about it in Daniel chapter nine, when they're going to be back to restore the restoration is 70 sevens, which is exactly what it's a 490 years and they come back, which is the 70 times seven in Matthew and the inverse of that 70 times seven in Lamech. So it's amazing how it all comes together, but the contamination really drives us, you know, drives the Lord away to the point of he leaves the temple. Drive. The presence of God outside the camp. Again, the urgent thing. If you catch someone in a transgression, those who are spiritual, who are walking with the Lord, restore gently back. Why? But also be careful that you want to also be tempted because of the potential contamination, bearing each other's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So back to those two things. So, so fulfill the law of the Messiah. So if I do bear your burden, Yvonne, and we have struggled together and we have successfully come through, praise the Lord, we are restored and we have fulfilled the law of Christ. Am I done? Can I stop? Can I quit? Can I, why not? You have to work out your salvation. <laughs> <laughs>
So uh, Aria, uh, back to you for um, the, the word the word fulfilled. What what tense is that in in Greek? It looks like an aorist uh, imperative. Okay. Second person plural. You all. You all. Okay. Fulfill. Yes. It's and a plural. 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 Okay. So yeah. And um, does it imply a one-off, or does it imply something to do all the time? It's or an ongoing. It? It's. Uh, well, just a minute. Let me get my tense correct here a little bit more uh, closely. It's a future. It's not an aorist. Future is ongoing in the future. Okay. So there you go. Okay. It's an on. It's, it's you can't just do something once and then go. Okay, I'm done. And the law of Christ is fulfilled, and you can throw that away. And in uh, this way, you in this way you will fulfill. So these are ongoing actions. To, to fulfill something does not mean it's done away with. Apply that back into Matthew, right? I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. fulfill. Means I don't do, throw it away. Just because I've done it, it's that you don't throw it away. You don't throw away the law of Christ, and you don't throw away the Torah. Okay, fulfill doesn't mean it's 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 now null and void. Law of Christ. Did you check up First uh, Corinthians nine, Aria? Yes, it says that he is uh, not without the law in of Christ. It's uh, animo. It's not directly nomos or nomo. Okay. It's animos. Yeah. Uh, without law. So it looks the same, perhaps in English, but it's not the same in the Greek. There, there is a, a slight difference. So it's a very interesting phrase that Paul uses here. This this phrase that appears. Uh, in in his um, in his first epistle, which he himself never uses again. So, what do you think the law of the Messiah is? Well, like then you, if you love one another, then you fulfill okay. the law of Christ, right? So, sure. ultimately, loving them. Would it be the whole concept of, of course, loving God, like you know, and then loving one another, like Sharon said, that that's the fulfillment of the two, which goes back to the Ten Commandments, which goes back to the Ten. So it's all locked in together. And when you say, "Oh, he fulfilled it, so we're done," no, we actually are always continually loving God, and we're continually loving our neighbor. So that just keeps going until <laughs> until he takes us, or we, you know. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, there is a translation that uses the word "establish" for "fulfill." So instead okay. of using yeah. fulfill, he uses yeah. the word established, which gives it um, that, um, that Christ has not come to stop the Torah, but to establish it by leaving it. So he establishes it. That's something that we can all keep. Then when we look at it from the point of what the law of the Messiah is, I, I believe it talks about loving ourselves. Because once you love yourselves, we will bear one, another, one another's burden. And um, we, we wouldn't just see somebody, you know, wallowing sin and we say, oh, we wait with him. We'll feel sad for the person and wanting the person to come back, just like the Lord has the burden for us. So I believe that's the law of the Messiah is stuck in there. Okay, sounds good. So now we go and ask, how can I carry your burden to all our brothers and sisters? Well, I wouldn't say you would ask straight away as a question like that, I think. <laughs> this, this is a, a heavy load, a burden, rather, that is imposed on you. It comes to you. You don't have to go looking for it, I think. But it's, it's <laughs> an, it's an yeah, injunction, though, in the English. It's an injunction. So he's saying, go and do it, because you can just, like um, somebody was saying, you can go sit in the corner and not get involved, right? Ah, well, the, the alternative to bearing our brother's burden is to adopt reciprocity and fight back, take up yeah. arms. 
Right. And actually not bearing somebody's burden is putting a heavier burden, like in Matthew 23, where the some of those religious uh, Pharisees were tying up heavy burdens, they themselves on people's shoulders, they were unwilling to bear one finger. So we either carry each other's burdens or we, we can actually put burdens on others. Or, yes, then there's the other option. The option is what Sharon said, sit in the corner and do nothing. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. And if we do that, what's the parable that Yeshua gives us for sitting in the corner and doing nothing? The parable of the talent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not, that, right. that doesn't end so well for that guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then the good Samaritan, right? He literally bears the load. Yeah, and so that's why just, I think we need to be sensitive when people do open their hearts and say, "Okay, I'm, I'm having this struggle. I'm having this issue," or that we even ask more questions. I think to fulfill the law of the Messiah is the result of the action. Does that make sense? Right? Is that I I bear a burden, I share the gospel, I heal the sick, I fight the demon. I carry the burden. I cry with my brother. I laugh with my sister. I, uh, I, I sit and mourn when someone loses a loved one. And thus, I fulfill the law of the Messiah. The, the, the fact that I act out the fruit of the Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. I act it out. I, 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 do, the, I do the physical fruit that the Spirit prompts me to do. And suddenly, the law of the Messiah is being fulfilled. I'm actually enacting what Jesus really wants me to do this. I'm acting out his teaching. He said, Aaron, this is actually really what I want you to do. You see that sister over there who's uh, feeling pretty lonely? I love her very much. In fact, I love her just as much as I love you. So off you go, son. Go talk to her. Make her smile today. And when you do, I'm going to be happy. You're going to be happy. She's going to be happy. And the three of us are going to have a much better relationship. And that enters that. That's the, uh, I, I could be wrong, but I, I see a lot of that as a, a product of our walking out the the fruit of the spirit, which is I think Paul is encouraging us to do. Which is the heart of the father in Isaiah 61, right? Um, good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, yeah. liberty to the captives, opening totally. up the prison for those who are bond. And, and then of course, that will be ultimately fulfilled in the messianic uh, kingdom. And that needs us to have a really sacrificial attitude because what does the Lord say? We need to count ourselves as sheep for the slaughter. I mean, yeah. we can see it as in being persecuted, but there's also another side of it where we are just pouring it like Paul does, pouring himself out daily for his brothers. He, whatever he says, that I've done, I've, I've been shipwrecked and I've been whipped and I've been done all these things, but I rejoice because the community is benefiting. And it's a, that real sacrificial heart is what we have to have as Christians. Yep. Excellent. Yes, we need that sacrificial attitude. Amen. Yeah, which I think is joining in the sufferings of the Messiah. He's saying, guess what? My king got washed feet. Guess what? My king sacrificed. I'm going to do what he does. And, uh, and in so doing, join in, join in the redemption. All right. Yeah. So contrary today to the gospel, to the, this, uh, what's this gospel that's been preached that the rich, you know, get rich. Oh, yeah. The gospel. It's all about what I can get. It's that, yeah. that is really not, it's not a true gospel because when you yeah. read here, it's, it's about really giving yourself up for the brother. Yep. Indeed. Excellent. Obviously, 
we're not going to finish the chapter like I thought we would. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I think this is absolutely fantastic. This teaching from Paul shows that 2,000 years later how relevant it is because we have shared our own hearts and our own burdens of our communities wherever we live around the world and the struggles that we have with, with what we see the body of the Messiah facing and uh, it pains us, we don't like it, but we want it to be better, like just like the Messiah. So I think it was very valuable that we took the time to really wrestle with it all and, and talk it out because, guys, let's, let's try and do this. Let's, by the fruit of the Spirit, fulfill the law of the Messiah. All right. So if anyone thinks, this is this pride thing which uh, Sharon mentioned before, if anyone thinks he is something, well, then he is nothing. He deceives himself. Pride is one of those, they call it the seven deadly sins, although there isn't actually a list, but it is one of those um, things that, is, that is, is not to be found in man. Okay, uh, There's only one person who's allowed to be proud, and that is God. Oh. <laughs> no, not Paul. God. Uh, it's one of the Psalms. can't remember which one, but I really like it. In fact, it, it's, it's, it's actually on one of Micah's talit. It says, God says, I wrap myself in pride. We, we, we translate it as I wrap myself in majesty, but the word is actually pride. Because God created the heavens and the earth, did he not? Yeah. Did he not make something fantastic? Yes. He's the only one who's allowed to say, hey, Aaron, what do you think of uh, the earth? And I go, it's pretty good. <laughs> well, darn right, it's good. It's fantastic. Job right? 4010. He wrote yeah, himself. I, I, I'll put it in the notes. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting. Thing. We are not allowed to be proud, prideful. That's that's God's job, and He's allowed. He's the King of the Universe. So if we think we're something, we're actually nothing. It's actually a deception. Pride is a deception. It was in, it was in the enemy. It was in the Morning Star. Somehow he thought he could be like God. What kind of deception is that? And I, it's a, it's, it's, it's quite powerful actually. Yeah, so that's the opposite, right? So God can be proud, but we can never be proud because we have nothing to be proud of, you know, about, right? Just our. But we can boast. We can boast in, and there's a few things that Paul says. Yeah, there are things. Yeah, but you can you can you can say to your son, "I'm proud of you," but that's not uh, a pride that that goes haughty and and, and becomes a a deceit with a, a lie to yourself. That's that's the pride the pride that lies to yourself. You cannot do that. God can only be true to himself because he is. Like Yvonne's verse last week, God hates pride and haughty eyes. Right, right. Yes. Proud heart. The proud in heart are an abomination to the Lord. Though they yeah. join forces, they will not go unpunished. Like he yeah. can't stand. He's a yeah. far off from pride, yeah. but he comes close to the yeah. humble. He gives grace. He does. And that doesn't, you can still boast. Paul will boast in the Galatians. Paul will boast in all kinds of things. But that's not a pride in terms of a deceitful lie. Self-glorifying. A self-glorifying thing. If you think yourself more, you're actually nothing. And then you deceive yourself. Well, he, he teaches us to be humble, yet yeah. he doesn't seem to be very humble. <laughs> he doesn't have to be. But he has. Isn't that the, the, the interesting um, tension yes. that you find? God yeah. is at the same time incredibly powerful. He is the Almighty. He is just the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And at the same time, he's so humble. He'll wash his disciples' feet, the people who were supposed to serve him, the people who were supposed to prepare everything for him, the people who were supposed to learn from him and then reflect his teaching. 
he will actually wash theirs. And so there's this incredible humbleness. God will listen to a prayer of a five-year-old kid. King of the universe, master, creator of the world, the one who lives forever will delight and humble himself to listen to a prayer. That's pretty spectacular. He is a beautiful tension that you, that you get there. He humbles himself to behold the earth. God is in heaven and he humbles himself. I mean, it's so great that for him to look down on earth is, is actually humbling, you know, mm. for him, for him to come and appear as a child and, and be slapped by the people he created and be spat upon and be nailed to the cross. I think that is very humbling. Um, not the passion of the Christ, but the former Jesus of Nazareth. The main actor was asked what was the most daring time for him in the movie. And he said, when he was acting the scene of, uh, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And he could just imagine, <laughs> imagine this were talking to God and say, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. You know, it's, it's very humbling for what God did. And um, uh, we, we could learn a lot from his humility. Amen. Yeah, my children had that question when they were younger. Wow, God, I mean, he's always like, holy, holy, holy angels. He's like all this, doesn't he get conceited? And and uh, that's a whole, con- yeah, exactly what was said is that uh, it's a question. And I think even a lot of atheists might have that, you know, well, who does he think he is? But at the same time, he's the only one that can have that. Because at the same time, he has all the praise, but he still does not uh he, he he's you know the total humility so it's uh, it's for us we, we praise him it's for us it's for us it's for our benefit to give glory to god to be able to submit surrender and cause in us to have that sense of humility is the adorno lamb is the adorno lamb and um you know when, when you when when it's being worshipped holy 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 is the lord you know, in the synagogue, when they use the first kadosh, in the next kadosh, they, they raise the voice higher. And in the third kadosh, they raise the voice higher than the second. Because in, in the worship, you don't, you, you, it's holy than the holiest. You know, it just shows that the, the glory you're sharing about him is not the same every time. It continues to go higher and higher. You can never overpraise God. Let me just put it that way. You can never outpraise God. I mean, it's... Yeah. Um, you just continue to try and try like a tangent and it doesn't get to the mark, but you continue to get closer. But if we turn it back to ourselves for a moment, I was talking to somebody this afternoon about the great danger in a church when you might have something which might be, I'm not saying exact power, but when you're in a position like somebody who believes that they're getting prophecies from God, you can easily become puffed up if you're not careful or if you're preaching or teaching or doing some other form of service and begin to feel important because everybody's, you know, we're all frail human beings and it can be very seductive to be in those positions. And I think that we can fall that way into pride very easily and not even realise we're doing it because it is such a seductive thing because we want inside to feel important, et cetera, et cetera. Very well said, Teresa. Thank you. David Pelegi had mentioned that in the as a community, it's not how much we know or, right, the uh, content or, doc- of course, I mean, doctrine is important, but, oh, Hebrew or Greek or this and that is, is how well we get along as a community and, and really love each other and carry our burdens and turn the other cheek. And um, yep. And also when we think that we might just 
secretly be a little bit better than other people because we've got this special gift or something. Or if you're preaching, and I only preach a little bit, but I have done, not recently, not since the pandemic, but, you know, you have to school yourself not to be wanting good feedback afterwards because, you know, you want people to say, well done, and that was really good, and that really spoke to me. But actually, you have to just grit your teeth and get on with it because otherwise you're in danger of trying to take God's glory. And I think it's a very dangerous position to be uh, in. Yeah, I was preaching on Sunday. I think, Kate, you're here. But of course, when you preach on Zoom, there's no interaction because everyone's just muted and you have no idea whether they're responding or not. And I'm so used to preaching in, uh, in the Middle East where... They tell you how they feel, okay? <laughs> is, it, is it like that in Nigeria? Do they do they talk back to you as you're preaching? Yeah, in some charismatic um, assembly, they kind of hoot back and you know chair, or you know, but uh, majority don't. Uh, most of the um, most most line don't. <laughs> yeah. And you sort of you're preaching, and you're thinking, wow, no one's paying any attention, no one's saying a single thing. I mean, they're all muted. I've no idea what's going on. And you can get a little self-conscious, but you, but Therese is right. Shouldn't just preach the word. That's it. It's, uh, it's up to God. So if someone thinks verse three, for if someone thinks he is something, he is nothing. He deceives himself. But let each one thus. This is a warning. It's to the Corinthian, uh, to the Galatians. Yes, two thousand years later, Paul is speaking to us. The Spirit is speaking to us. Let each one of us test his own what. Work. Paul, what are you saying? You're, we don't like works, Mr. Paul, but apparently, <laughs> yeah. Why didn't he say, test your own heart? Yes. doesn't say that. It's fascinating in Revelation in the seven churches, the Lord Jesus always says, I know your works, I know your works, works. I know your works. Yeah. And so he's judging the churches and the individual on those works. Yes. Because, again, in Hebrew, faith and action, they're inextricably linked. There is no separation. They are exactly the same thing. And it's only later on where we try and separate them, where we've turned faith into some intellectual property. But yeah, uh, the, the, the men in the Bible study on Wednesday mornings, I think, are studying Revelation. And it's been a fascinating little look, yeah, because Jesus says, I know your deeds. Oh, dear, I'm in trouble now. Don't <laughs> you do the hard thing? <laughs> but here Paul is saying, come on, guys, test your works. And then then he's, then his reason to boast, what? I thought we had tried to get pride out of, will be in himself and not in his neighbor. Now, that's an interesting thought. Why are we trying to boast in our neighbor? For each will have to bear his own load, even though just previously we just told bear one another's burden. Now we've got to bear That's our own load. Confusion. I'm very confused today. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a great to be among friends, Kate, in our country. <laughs> Enjoy, Kate. Welcome. I see Paul asking us to do a self-appraisal about the work we're doing mm -hmm. for God. You know, he also used this that um, we should study ourselves to uh, study diligently to show ourselves approved. Aaron, you talked about when you're preaching, you, you, sometimes you, you want to get the feedback. There's nothing wrong about getting the feedback because you want to know if you are 
if they're getting what you're saying or they're totally yeah. lost or yeah. you're, you're, they're not following, you know, you want to get some kind of feedback so that you can know how you can channel your, your thoughts and your teachings. But Paul here is really telling the people that let each one examine his own work, then he will have pride. And if you do well, you will be happy about what you did, not about having the pride that we, the negative yeah. pride, but you will be proud of what you've done. At least I, I, I prayed for this person and, and it got healed. I mean, I, I'm going to be happy if I pray for somebody and it gets healed. Um, I, I did this for this person and, you know, it helps his situation. And so he says you will have pride uh, in himself alone and not in comparison with other. He's not trying to show that I'm better than you. That's why I did it. Uh, I'm doing this and I'm happy that I'm doing it. I'm not trying to make sure myself, oh, I'm better than you all, I'm holier than, than you all, that's why I'm able to do it. I think that's what Paul is um, bringing out here. Yeah, that's not bad, I like it. Thank you very much. It says, rather than pride, it says, let each one examine his own work and then he'll have rejoicing in himself. Yeah, the personal happiness. That, that, so what's, uh, the, what's the Greek then, Arya? When I read the Greek, I'm seeing something a little bit different from the translation, uh, depending on the use of the accusative here. I'm understanding he, Paul saying, test, let each one test his work so that he may have in him own, own self his own reason for being glad or proud or, or boasting, but to himself and not to anyone else. It suggests to me a confidence in what we have done before God in our interaction before him and not having to then go boast about it to anyone else. And that's kind of changing my view of the next verse as well, the, uh, the load here, okay. perhaps the uh, carrying the load of pleasure in a, in a job well done. Ah. Although, although the word, the word fortion that Paul uses here actually reminds us also of Jesus' words in Matthew, at least as they've been recorded by um, the Greek writer when where jesus said my yoke is easy and my and my load is light the load here is also used for a cargo it's something that we're built to carry the the ships are built to carry cargo the ship doesn't have to is not groaning and straining it's just doing its job is it is it synonymous with the yoke of the kingdom of heaven is that the one you're talking about well, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Yes, me. Yes, yeah. And then in the next verse, it says, for my yoke is, is easy and my burden is, not my burden, my load is light. Mm -hmm. It's the same word here, fortion. So even though we all take upon ourselves the yoke of the Messiah, the yoke of the kingdom of heaven, that doesn't excuse us from at all in any way from not helping bear another's burden that is their sin transgression that they're suffering their joy their pain all of that those two are actually not synonymous their their intention uh, they're in relationship but it can lead to an in, to a confidence in the lord that can result in happiness i'm happy that i helped my sister i'm happy a bit of the a bit of the weight of glory if you will could be yes yeah can i just say father aaron after your sermon on Sunday which we didn't we just listened to you and at the end you actually said I'm used to people questioning me I think Elaine and I just laughed I don't think I've ever been in church and laughed before but this this was it was a joyous sermon it was a marvelous time and it was a great service and that so you gave us joy you gave this rejoicing in your 
service to us was wonderful. Anyway, just to give you some feedback, we enjoyed it. Thank you very we, much. We couldn't say it at the time. We didn't. We were giggling at you. Busy giggling. Okay. <laughs> See, it's the accent, REA. There's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> now, Aaron, keep that uh, boasting to yourself, please. <laughs> <laughs> Do, do you think it's possible that the supposed contradiction about bearing other burdens and also bearing your own burden, what Paul might be saying is, look, you have to give yourself out to carry and do what your other brothers and sisters need. You have to pour yourself out for yeah. them. But then don't forget you need to introspect and look at yourself and what you are doing and deal with your own issues too. So it's not just about ignoring what you're going through. And so perhaps it's this burden you carry for other people, but you're also having to, in your own life, every day come before the Lord, Lord, was my motive right? Did I, am I getting angry? Lord, where am I going? So you've got your own burdens you've got to deal with with the Lord. And so it's a, it's a two-way Lord saying, Paul saying, don't forget the brothers, but also don't forget your own issues. Oh, I like as soon that. as I get the sequoia out of my eye, I'm going to straighten you all out. Excellent. Okay, brothers and sisters, we will end it there. Um, for those that have been listening in, in podcast land, um, hope you've been blessed by the way we've wrestled with the text, trying to learn what the Spirit is teaching us um, through Paul's epistle to the Galatians. And may we all endeavor to love each other, to serve each other, to bear each other's burdens, and uh, to do so humbly and, uh, and so fulfill the law of the Messiah. May, the fruit, may all of our fruits of the Spirit flourish to the honor and glory of God's name. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.